Good morning, everybody. Yeah, good to see you this morning. What a beautiful day to come into church and to worship God and to have fellowship and be together this morning. Thank you for being here. And we've got a great day planned. This is going to be a good service. I know that. And then after the service, we're having a, a thing that we call Warrior Blast. And I'll talk about that just uh, in a few moments or so. But uh, I, I definitely want to welcome you and thank you for being here today. It's my belief that every time that we meet together, that God has something special for people that are coming into this place of worship. He's going to, God has a voice, and God's voice speaks into our lives and into our hearts in special ways. So thank you for being here. I'm going to read from the Bible. Actually, I'm going to read my text today that I'm, that I'm going to be speaking from. It's from Colossians chapter 1. And I invite you to stand with me as I read this text, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of the saints, and because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all of the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn that Epaphras, our dear friend, fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love of God in the Spirit. Father, we thank you so much. We're happy to be in the house of the Lord today. We're glad to be in your place. And thank you, Father. We believe that you are present with us. We believe that the power and the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be abundant and evident among people today. Father, we believe that you're also going to be speaking into our lives and into our hearts. It is going to be a word of encouragement. It is going to be a word of faith. It is going to be a word that is bringing us wisdom and hope. And so, Father, we thank you today. We're glad that, you are, that we are in your house. Father, I pray that people that would come in here with any type of a burden upon their heart, they would realize that they can bring that before you in a precious way and know that you can lift that burden and bring encouragement, strength, and faith. Be made alive today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, I'm going to begin this, uh, this is a summer series. I've been looking forward to this, of, of walking through the book of Colossians. This thing is, uh, this has four chapters, it's just absolutely loaded. And uh, we, it's very doubtful that we'll be able to get to everything in it. But uh, we're going to touch on so many things that I think is going to be something that will feed your soul. It's, a, it's, it's, it's going to supply a, a special sustenance in your life. And so I encourage you uh, to join with us for these, uh, for these messages. You know, I have a feeling that the, <clears throat> that the art of handwritten letters 
is somewhat of a lost art. It's from, perhaps we might even go as far as to say it's from a bygone era. You just don't see too many handwritten letters anymore. I like to write notes, and I should do more of that, but I enjoy writing little short notes to people. And I, 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 would do, I think I would do more. I, I've had this happen a long time ago, but I've got some nerve damage in my, uh, my arm, and, and it's affected part of my hand. And it's, and it's become more difficult for me to write. I used to have just beautiful penmanship. Now today, I don't know, some days, ooh, it, it looks a little rough. We're, uh, we're into texting today, aren't we? And tweeting. I don't know, where did, where did this come from? Where did this tweet thing come from? I don't know. Do you guys know? You don't know either. We're, we're texting, we're tweeting, we're emailing. And all of those things, I, I got to tell you, are somewhat impersonal. This is my opinion. You may think differently, and, and, and yet we sort of get used to this, don't we? And... Uh, and, we, and, we, and so we use these common devices of communication. Now, I'm not recommending a wholesale, let's go back to handwriting letters and, and everything like that. Uh, I, I think there's some issues there too. But I've seen some letter writing from the past. I mean, it almost looks like artwork. Uh, the way some of these people were able to write, it's incredible. When I was in school, when I was in you know, the old country school, we learned penmanship. How many people under 18 in this, uh, <clears throat> in this uh, congregation this morning have ever had a class in penmanship? Uh-oh. Under eight. You're not under 18. Look at all these old people here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, anybody, uh, let's do it. We want to be fair and equal to everybody. You know, we're into that. Okay, everybody over 18 and had a penmanship class. Go ahead. There you go. There you go. There, you, there they are. I remember Mrs. Sarah Johnson, who was my, I don't know whether I was in third grade or second grade. We were writing in cursive, which is sort of a foreign language today, and in which we are going to fool young people. And because they won't be able to read it. And uh, it's sort of like the Navajo code talkers in World War II. We'll write in cursive and just set it out. That, well, I don't even know what that is. So anyway, she would walk around the room and we had, you know, we were making our, our Ds and Es and Fs. And if it wasn't wrong, she had a 12-inch ruler. She'd go, yeah, I mean, you're holding that pin too tight. And, you know, I mean, did I tell you what? She was a stickler. We learned. We learned. We learned. Paul wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote it from a prison cell. He also wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, the Timothy letters, Titus. These are called the prison epistles. Because he wrote them from a jail cell. And these were all handwritten. He didn't have a typewriter or a, 
or a Mac or an iPad or anything like that in those days. They were all handwritten. And, um, you know, when I read Colossians, and I, I, I can say this of, of probably a lot of New Testament uh, writings, it just seems to me like Paul must have been watching Fox News or CNN or something like that, read the morning paper, you know, and had some correspondence, and then he starts writing a letter because they are so incredibly contemporary. It looks like he's just been looking into our lives today and seeing what's happening in our world and in our church and things of that nature, and he writes about it. And that's what makes a letter like Colossians so rich and, and wonderful and, and, and inviting for us to respond to it and, and hear from it. Because it was written 2,000 years ago, and yet it's amazingly contemporary. And I, and I just love it. One of the standout characteristics of this epistle is the very clear witness of the person and the character of Jesus Christ. I mean, it is unmistakable from the very, very first uh, verse here. The church of Colossae, you know, this is interesting. Paul had never been there. Paul never was there. He was in, he was in Ephesus, and he had some friends that were traveling with him. They were, they were companions. They, were, uh, they helped Paul in many different ways. And a guy named Epaphras was one of these guys that just got so stirred in his heart and so he went 100 miles from the, little town, from the big town of Ephesus to this little town called Colossae. And he started a church there. He planted a church. Just like we're planting a church in Humboldt. He just felt the calling of God, the, the witness of God in his spirit. So he went there and started this thing going and got it rolling and everything like that, and Paul writes a letter to him from a prison cell. You know, folks, our age is an age of science, isn't it? I found a, a statistic this week that was kind of stunning. It says 95% of all the scientists who have ever lived are living today, right now. 95%. And so we see tremendous advances in so many fields and there's been a flood of discoveries one of those discoveries as a matter of fact next month in late July they're going to blast a rocket off from Cape Canaveral it's got a payload about the size of a small car and they're going to orbit this thing around the Sun and it's going to be the closest anything has ever gotten to the Sun it's filled it's loaded with sensitive type equipment and everything else and they're going to tell us stuff that we never known. Amazing. The technology, the advances. Someday somebody's going to figure this thing out with cancer. I know that. I know that. Maybe one of these guys, like here in the front row. Joel says, no, not me. He's going to play baseball. But I, you know, somebody's going to get it. Somebody's going to get it. Somebody somehow is going to have a, a, that, that epiphany of God, if you will, and say, this is it. And it's going to change how we live. 
and all of these things. It's amazing. But you know, with all of this advance in scientific discovery, something else is occurring too. And it's interesting. It's interesting. It leads to the question, how does God relate to this universe? How does God relate to medicine? How does God relate to science and in virtually any field that you, that you would choose? How does God relate? And by the way, while we're at it, did God really create this universe? Is he really the creator? Or does, you know, you hear all the theories. They're out there. Did the universe evolve? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says it this way, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. You know, the stuff you can't see, the stuff that's around us right now, I can't even see it, but I know it's there. It's called atoms. I can't see it. You're full of atoms. <laughs> and we see you, Connie, but yet I can't see you. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. They are for his glory. So a lot of things happening. I have plenty to say on that subject, but that's something else uh, for some of the day. But God gives us direction and he gives us this word. And this is one of the things I love about this book of Colossians. Because it, it's sort of like a, in some ways it can be like a textbook that begins to answer... <coughs> answer the questions people say well did, did God really create this world the Bible says he did and he said well we don't believe the Bible oh you, then you are the source oh so you are the source of wisdom how's that working out for you and all of these other things God speaks so clearly so powerfully in a profound sort of a way that helps us we, we live in an age that's, that's defined by a couple things. I, I just, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I just plugged these into this message because I thought they belonged here. But uh, we live in an age defined by these two things, rebellion and the form of authority. We see it all over the place. You can't pick up a newspaper today. You can't tune into a news broadcast in which you do not see the rebellion against authority and it comes in all forms and it comes at all levels and all shapes and everything and by the way it's invaded the church too we see it in the church it's tragic to assume that all religious traditions are of equal value to say listen to me I, there, I swear there will be a day in which what I say right next is going to be considered hate speech and to say Jesus is the only way truth and life to salvation. Oprah Winfrey says, no, 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 no. No, no. Mohammed is a way to God. Confucius is a way to God. Buddha is a way to God. You can, you can Google that and find that one so easy. And all of these people, Colossians is going to help us so much in this area. It's going to give us a, you know what, it's going to build for us an incredibly strong foundation that we can continue to build our faith on top of that. And because we're going to learn some things about who God is, what he is, what, what Jesus is involved with and all of this stuff. Second thing, this is an age of pragmatism. And this is big. 
Pragmatism, here's what I mean when it comes to a matter of faith. Pragmatism, we don't care how much is true or not, but does it work for me? Does it work for me? It's sort of like the end justifies the means. We don't care how we got here, <clears throat> it's just we got here. Now a little bit of that's okay <clears throat> as long as you stay within biblical boundaries. You jump outside the Bible boundaries and, and, and it's, you're jumping into a cesspool of total confusion. And this is one of the things that was bothering Paul, especially here at Colossae and some of the other places too. Let me tell you something about false teaching. All false teaching, the real source of all false teaching is Satan. Every, every pointer, every index leads to the devil as the source of false teaching. The Bible says he is the father of all lies. You see, the Greeks love knowledge. They loved it, I mean. And that's why they, they kind of poo-pooed the gospel. What do you mean? It's Jesus and him alone. And there's got to be something else. It must mean Jesus and something else. Knowledge and wisdom and all of these things. And Paul takes them on right here. Remember, Paul is a highly educated person. Educated in the Greek system, in fact. And so he takes them on. He squares right off with these people and takes them on head on. They were lover of special insights. Oh, I've got a deeper meaning. Let, come to my class next Sunday and I will give you the deeper meaning of Jesus. And oh boy, we're going to show up. Because we, we too love those things. And oftentimes these things can move us into some very strange and unusual directions. I had an email from a person I know from quite a while ago, actually. But uh, <clears throat> she's kind of drifted into some pretty unusual things. And she told me, she says, hey, I just got to tell you this. I had an angel named Edgar that stopped in and talked to me about what's going to happen in the future. I didn't know God had an angel named Edgar. So this sort of caught me by surprise, a little bit off guard here, if you don't mind. I did not bother to Google that, by the way. You see? You guys laugh, but it's true. There's people out there that buy into this stuff. Then they go buy their books. I wish I'd have wrote a book on Edgar the Angel. You know, maybe I could use that as a children's book, and we could use it in our children. Well, no, not there. No. No. Here's a powerful truth. If we believe the right things about Jesus Christ, we will believe the right thing about everything else that God brings up into our lives. Jesus becomes a foundational piece here. He is the one. He is the one here. Let's walk through this uh, verse just for, let's take a, just a couple minutes here. In verse 2, Paul says, Paul begins these letters this way. He always begins them this way. Watch this. Grace to you. And he always ends these letters with grace be with you. He begins them and ends them with grace. And I believe this with all of my heart, that when you and I read these 
words from this Bible, and I don't care whether it's in the New Testament or back here in the Old Testament, it doesn't really matter. When you read these, I believe God conveys measures of grace in, <clears throat> into our life that can strengthen us, that can help us, that allows us to grow, that allows us to, to, to face challenges of each day. And we, we do so because of grace that is that comes through his word. This is his word. It's living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so God uses this as a strong and mighty, uh, <clears throat> mighty piece of weaponry in our hearts and in our hands. It helps us to live right. In, cha in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul expresses his gratitude for doing well as a church here. And even though Paul had never met these people, he was very much aware of their faith and their love. Faith and love was translating into good works. Now, follow me close here. Works do not save us. They cannot save us. But they speak very, very clearly of the authenticity of our faith. My works speak that my faith is real. That is from the living God. And I walk with him. I believe, I believe <clears throat> a problem here. Paul speaks about a hope laid up in heaven. And I think we need to see this. Faith and love don't come from us, uh, come from us, but it comes from God. Faith and love comes from God. Then through us. And when my hope is in in God alone, I am all to give myself to him without any reservation at all. Faith and hope. Alexander Pope is a name that probably you may not be familiar with. I'm not really that familiar with him. But he's the guy that coined this phrase, hope springs eternal. Perhaps you've heard that. I'm willing to question that just a little bit. Hope springs eternal. I, I, I have some doubts about that one. And here's my reasoning. I know people, some who are, who are affluent people. They are good people. And yet, in the midst of their affluence and their goodness, there is an emptiness in their life. There is a hollowness in their life. There is a, there is a longing for meaning and it's seemingly an absence of hope. I've talked to them. I've sat with them and had coffee with them. And, and when it gets right down to it, you, you begin to sense this. You begin to, you begin to hear the, the words of the absence of hope, the absence of meaning. Yeah, I've got money, but I, I just need something else in my life. Throughout the course of this letter to the Colossians, Paul is going to deal with hope and some of the strange mixtures of, <clears throat> of religion of that day. Hear me well, folks. Your hope is not in a better job. It's not in a younger wife or a younger husband or something like that or a nicer house. Your hope is only in Jesus Christ. Only there. Only. Only. Throughout the course of this letter, Paul is going to deal with this. Folks, 
in Paul's day, religion sometimes was a kind of a boiling pot type thing uh, of this and that. And, and there's a big time word for that, and I'll give it to you. It'll come up on the screen. It's called syncretism. And it means it's a mixture of a lot of things. Now, one of the, one of the things that I enjoy at our house, and, and I only get it in the, in the cold weather winter, is vegetable soup. I love it. And uh, it's, made out of, uh, it's made out of tomato juice and uh, stew meat and diced up uh, potatoes, a few of them, and cabbage, and sliced up carrots. Is that right? <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> now, I go to other people's places sometimes, and they'll say, oh, we're having vegetable soup. What's in it? Uh, well, we've got corn. Wait a minute. That's wrong. They've done it wrong. Don't, we get set in our ways, don't we? Just a little bit. Well, at least Joan does. I, I'm pretty open and free. You know? But you know what? You, you mix this whole thing up on top of the stove and... Let it simmer and set. Oh, man, is it good. Oh, boy. Here's the Colossian problem. Let me give it to you in a little bit different angle. Yes. Jesus is our main man. We believe him. We trust him. But my next door neighbor is Jewish. And he says we need to celebrate this festival or that festival. And and that's going to help us to get closer to God. And well, so we add it to the mix. Because after all, this Jewish guy prays just as much as me. Have you heard it? Oh my, it's there. When I read my text, there are words that jump off the page. And they are faith, hope, and love. Love is desperately needed in our world. But according to Colossians, love comes from faith. And where does faith come from? In verse 5, it tells me this. It says this, uh, hope which is laid up for you in the heaven, which you have, here it comes, which you have heard before in the word, in the word of truth of the gospel. That's why, when, folks, when you preach the gospel, the gospel is loaded with hope. That's why we call it good news. Because, I mean, it's filled with, it's, it, this thing is overflowing with hope. And so we speak the gospel, we share the gospel. The text says, my hope is available to you in the heavens. Now, I, I want to just kind of, I want to make an adjustment here, not so much in the word, but in how we understand it and take that in. Sometimes if we read that, we'd say, oh, after I die, there's hope for me in heaven. That's true. But understand something, while we live down here, there is an entire kingdom of God that is wrapped around our lives, that's filled with hope, that's filled with grace, that's filled with mercy, and it, and it wraps itself around our lives. I, I was in Des Moines uh, last week, and uh, I stopped at Red Robin, and I got myself a... Uh, chicken Caesar wrap 
which I really love. And it's this thing is all wrapped up, you know, in a and what, I don't know whether they call them things. They're like a it's a like a thin doughy thing. <laughs> I don't know what help me out here. A what? Huh? Tortilla shell, that's it. And it's a green one too. It's a green one. Green. That's probably better, isn't it? It's probably better. I don't know. I'm much healthier for that. So it, that's kind of how we are. We're stuffed in this. Oh, man, what a dumb illustration. <laughs> that's stupid. That, I, I even got lost on that one. Okay, forget it. We are wrapped thoroughly around our lives with the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the work of God, the love of God, faith, hope, all of these things. Maybe some of you are thinking here this morning, I, I just want to wrap this up quickly, but you know, you're saying, Pastor, if I knew the Bible kind of like you knew it, I, I think I could be more effective and be used to the Lord. I, I, I want you to know something. And I think you're missing something when, when you think that way. Because each one of you are true evangelists in every sense of the word. Epaphras was just a guy. A guy that was helping Paul. He's just a guy. He didn't have any theological education or anything like that. And he just felt a burden on his heart. and says, I, I, I want to go actually to my hometown, 100 miles away, and I want to do what we're doing here, over there. And so he went. And see, that's why God has you in such important spaces and spots in this world. You become the voice. You become the witness of God. Because you're all over this place. You're all over these counties. You're everywhere. I'm in one spot right here. But you guys are going to go out of here all over the place. And you bear the witness of God in your life. You realize that? That's how powerful this thing is. You say, I don't know what to say. You know what? God will line that up for you. God will, trust me, God will line that up for you. You don't have to have a, you don't have to have a theology education or anything. He's going to line that all up for you. He's going to open the doors for you. He's going to open the door so wide that you're going to stand there and say, if I don't walk through this door, I'm the stupidest guy on the planet. I could drive a car through this door. And God is going to say, just say a word. You will be shocked. You will be just, I, I think you will be astounded at the people that you will encounter and meet that are just hungry for something from God. They don't even know what. But see, you're, you're in touch with them. You're in the marketplace every day. You rub shoulders with them at the grocery store. You'll see them in a restaurant and all over the place. And sometimes it's just, it's simple. You plant that one seed, and God says, I'll water it, and it'll start growing. And the next time you see that person, you may not have to even wait that long. They may be on the phone calling you. 
and say, you have anything else? What else? And that's the miracle of the gospel. That is the miracle of God at work in people's lives. I've seen you at the hospital. I marvel at your, your fearlessness, walking into intensive care units. Let me tell you something, those people will listen. Because they're facing some things in their life. But there's, you don't have to go to the intensive care unit in Humboldt or Manson or Palmer or wherever else. They're willing to listen, they want to hear. That's how the gospel spread, folks. It really is. That's how it spread. That's how the church got planted. Because the gospel has the power to change and to awaken and to give hope. And out of hope springs faith and out of hope springs life. And this is what God does. Uh, who's, who's on the organ today? Donnelly, could you return, please? I'm sorry, I didn't, wasn't paying attention earlier. Amazing things happen when we put our faith in Christ. Number one, we're born again. Number two, we become God's children. Number three, our sins are forgiven. Number four, God says, now I've got a place for you in heaven. Number five, before you get there, I've got a job for you. And not only just for you alone, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to begin to work in your life. And it's going to just, it's just going to make you alive. And it's going to be incredible because God wants to use you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us this book uh, that we're going to engage in over the summer called Colossians. Father, let this word engage us right now in this room. Father, I thank you for every person here today, every one of them. They are loved by you. They are considered important by you. I believe you brought people into this uh, service today, not by accident or chance or anything like that, but because you had a word for them and you wanted them to hear it. Father, I thank you so much for that. I thank you for your divine love and grace. Thank you for letting us hear from you. Father, today while our heads are bowed in reverence and in prayer before you, I know you're speaking into people's lives. Father, I pray you'll speak into that person's life in which hope needs to be refreshed. Joy needs to be renewed. Father, I pray that you'll speak into the life of that person that is facing some physical issues in their life, their life right now. I pray that you'll help them to navigate every step of the way here. But in the process of that navigation, I pray that you're going to bring the divine healing of God. For all of us in this room, I pray that you're going to literally ignite a new purpose in our life. Let faith be really alive. Father, I pray for somebody here today that perhaps really doesn't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe they've been in church a lot and 
done all kinds of things, but when it comes right down to it, they never simply said, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. So today for that person, I would ask those people, individuals to pray along with me, Jesus, come into my life. Pray with me right now. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Father, I believe on Jesus and him alone for my salvation. I open my heart to Christ. Come, live in me. Live in me. I surrender my life to you. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose from the dead. I ask him to be the savior of my life and I ask him to do it today. Father, I thank you so much for your amazing work. Continue on while our heads are still bowed. Can I just ask for an uplifted hand of people that this prayer, this closing prayer, has touched their life profoundly and there's been a response in your life to what God wants to do right now. Could you just lift it up, put it down? That's all I'm asking. Just do that right now. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things that Paul writes so often in his letters, he simply uses that beautiful phrase, two words, in Christ. In Christ. That tells me two things. Number one, we're citizens of this world, aren't we? We have responsibilities here. We have jobs here. And with the help of God, we're going to do those jobs to the glory of God. We'll get into that one in chapter 3. But we're also citizens of heaven. You know, I don't know whether it's just age or just what it is, but I seem to be living my life hopefully with a clear, clear focus on what needs to be done today in this world. But there's a glance. There's a glance. There's heaven. There's heaven. It's waiting. There's heaven. I pray that let us live our lives that way. Amen.